Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Horns Roden. So before we start the show, I do have a little announcement to make. We recently ran a poll on our Instagram and our Discord server as to what day people would like us to record the episode on. At the moment, we do it on a Tuesday, 7pm, and we got an overwhelming reaction for us to swap it to a Sunday evening, same sort of time, 7pm UK time. Uh, so we're going to do that probably in the new year, starting January. And it, it's going to give people a greater chance to to join and, and watch live, I think. We struggle finding a timing that suited our wide range of listeners from the USA to the UK to obviously mainland Europe. So I think this Sunday is going to work. It helps people who are working during the week. And uh, alongside that, uh, we're also looking at moving our story time episode that we do for Patreon from the higher tier down to the basic tier, which is also going to help people get greater access to the to the things we do. So we're going to make that a little bit more accessible. It's going to drop down into the three pound tier. So you're going to get two extra episodes in that tier. Um, so if you can and you do want to support the show, if you enjoy what we do and want to help us keep things going if you could pop over to patreon for slash naughty mythology podcast there are i mean for three pound a month it works out 10p a day i think that tier is going to become pretty pretty stacked you're going to get the q a episode with every guest which is always a lot of fun there's a bunch of questions that i miss i know last week with anders winroth there were some questions that were just fantastic that made me feel stupid that i missed them in the main show um, you're going to get, as I said, we're going to add that story time episode in there. You get access to watch the shows live, which are always a lot of fun, especially as we get more people coming in. There's a, there's a whole side chat going on amongst the main show. You get the Discord server, you get early access. And it really is going to be stacked in there. We're going to add an, a couple of other things into the, the higher tier as well. Just give it a little bit of a jiggle about. Um, but that's enough from me. I've been really looking forward to this episode since I saw the Bob booked it. So I'm going to welcome Zachary Melton to the show. Did I pronounce that right? That's right. Yeah. I, I didn't check for once. Yeah. I always check beforehand. I was like, I know this one. I've definitely got it. And then as soon as I said, I was like, oh shit, maybe, maybe it's got a different saying or pronunciation. No, that's good. You you can call me Zach. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming. So do you want to give people a little run down on on kind of what we're going to cover who you are what you do yeah sure um i'm i'm originally from a small town in indiana and i moved out to iceland uh in 2015 to do the viking and medieval norse master's program at the university of iceland uh, graduated there in 2017 and went straight into a phd program in comparative literature and uh I finished my, uh, I defended my thesis in January of this year. Uh, so I, my dissertation was called an excuse for violence. Um, something like gender, masculinity and race, uh, in us popular culture and, uh, you know, studying sort of the idea of, of race and, and, you know, masculinity throughout the, uh, 19th and 20th century and into the 21st century and how those factor into the image of the Viking. 
And uh, yeah, now I'm doing a postdoctoral research um, thing at the Ardenstopten, uh, the Arden Magnuson Institute here uh, in Reykjavik. And I'm researching uh, women travel writers who came to Iceland uh, and then wrote about their experiences um, in the 19th and early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, the title alone of that sounds like it's very it's very much i I don't know powder keg or whatever you want to describe it it's very i don't don't like the word triggering but it's that kind of thing that's going to get emotions going high i imagine you know it's 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 a tough subject and it's it's one that i actually struggled with you know am, am i the right type of person to be talking about this as a as a white cis male is that is that my role and uh with the encouragement of my of my supervisors, I, I went ahead and, you know, also, you know, a lot of Viking fiction or adventure novels were written by uh, middle class white American males for middle class white American males, which happens mm-hmm. to be what I am. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I kind of fit the profile for who they're writing for. So it was it was interesting. But, yeah, it was tough to, you know, you have to tiptoe around some things and. Um, you know, especially, uh, I, I, I didn't really know much about gender studies and having to learn a lot and, uh, figure out the correct terminologies for, for things was also a challenge and something I hope I, I did well in my dissertation. Mm-hmm. So uh, where did all this, where did it start? You were, you were about to tell me before the show and I quickly put a pin in it. Yeah. Um, but I worked for my master's thesis. I, I worked with sort of the the American reception in 19th century, and was looking at how Norse ideas and mythology and the Vikings sort of factored into some political discourses of the 19th century in the United States, um, particularly the suffrage movement and um, and the slavery. Uh, uh, discourse um and when i finished i felt like there were some uh things that i hadn't really resolved yet that i wanted to look into more and i started my phd program in august of 2017 and that's when the march uh in charlottesville occurred if if people remember that and there were it sort of exploded in the field of medieval studies to see a lot of the symbols there. And so this is where this kind of started. I I just wanted to sort of answer the question of how, how did this relationship between old Norse or Vikings or whatever, and, um, you know, racism, white supremacy, whatever, you know, we, we saw there, this, this violence, um, how did that sort of begin and how did it evolve how did it change over time and and so that's what i've tried to look at through specifically in the realm of popular culture um because i felt like most of the people carrying tiki, tiki torches there were not reading scholarship yeah but probably watching films and and reading books and, and getting inspired in different ways so mm-hmm. yeah it is it is a fascinating one because i i mean i don't roll in those circles so I can't speak for for those kind of people in the UK, but I feel like our far right white supremacist groups tend to the more like I, 
I guess they see more football hooligan based mm. and around that kind of area. Um, and I'm not saying all football hooligans are white <laughs> supremacists, but they are. They do tend to have that kind of look or seem to hang in those circles. Whereas in the US, it does seem very much attached to more like Viking style imagery uh, symbols and I've always wondered why that is and I'm sure there are some I'm sure there's plenty of white supremacists in Europe and in the UK who also use a lot of the Viking imagery and symbols but as an outsider it does seem very prevalent as a USA thing yeah um, there was a, a book written about 20 years ago called Gods of the Blood by Matthias Gardell, where he sort of, you know, it's a bit outdated now, but he was researching um, sort of the the far right mixing with, you know, Old Norse pagan stuff. And he used this term of, uh, of a smorgasbord um, and sort of these extremist groups sort of just picking and choosing what they want. So in, in, mm-hmm. In, a, in many corners, it feels like there's really no meaning behind, you know, what you see. It's just a cool symbol that that's been adopted for one reason or another. You were talking about this, this horror film um, with, you know, someone had a, a tattoo or something where it's just sort of part of that image now, um, which is unfortunate. And, and yeah, uh, just to just to clear that up for, for people who, obviously people who weren't there before the show. Uh, I watched a movie called Becky the other night. Some people may have seen it. I think it's on Shudder. I'm pretty sure it's got Kevin James in it. And he's a, he's a white supremacist in that. And he's got a big swastika on the back of his head, the black sun, the SS symbols. Um, and he's got his little crew of neo-Nazis, white supremacists, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they're looking for this key that's got a, Valknut symbol on it and they've all got it tattooed on the back of their hand and it's very they never really goes into what this key does or what the symbol means to them but it's obviously got a clear link to these white supremacists and this symbol they re- there's some attachment there and watching it it's so frustrating because anybody who knows anything about the symbol knows we know pretty much fuck all about the symbol it appears in a few different places and that's about all we know um but to the average Joe, anybody who doesn't, you know, I, I would imagine not point not 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 one percent of people know that this symbol actually means very little. The rest of people just see the symbol on a on a film associated with white supremacists this, alongside the swastika, alongside the black sun, and just assume that it's the symbol in the same light as those in the same with when you see people storming the Capitol or doing whatever these people like to do. And it is very frustrating to see. Yeah. And, you know, I heard, I heard a story uh, some, some years ago that uh, at a academic conference, some people were, were selling some pendants of Thor's hammer and they were asked to, to cease that because of the association, which is, of course, not the association, but it's become so closely associated yeah. with some negative stuff that, you know, you, you know, uh, I, I was in Scotland not too long ago and the, and the Uber driver had, had some tattoos and I, you know, have to do a double take and just like, there's that moment of hesitation, like, Oh, is this guy cool or not? Yeah, yeah. 
and you want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but it's, yeah. And it's just intriguing to, to look into, um, you know, aside from the, the pagan stuff, just, just the Viking image in general and how, how it's become sort of tossed back and forth and, and, and associated with these types of things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, before we, before we get kind of deep into that and where it all started, I think the Viking image, as I, as I spoke with Anders Winroth on last week has become its own thing. Aside from that, it's not just, you know, white supremacists that have adopted things from the Viking age or Viking culture. You know, we see it on brands all across the world as almost a symbol of reliability. You know, you have Viking cruisers, you have fucking Viking tool, tools, delivery companies, everything. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, it can kind of mean what you, whatever you would like it to mean. And, and, and really when you, when you dig into the Viking agents, isn't that sort of what was happening? Like uh, wherever they went, something different would happen if they, you know, if they sort of assimilated into French culture uh, in Normandy, or they took over half of England or gave up on the Vinland experience experiment. So you, you sort of have this sort of adaptive type of, of of people so it's really not surprising that the image itself is that adaptive now um but yeah like you know in the 19th century for instance some people associated with the associated the power of the uh british navy and british empire with their roots in the viking age right the the scandinavian blood gave you know they were had this prowess on the sea. So now the British do too. So, um, but, but on the other hand, people would point to the early, like Althingi in, in Iceland say, oh, the Vikings were harbingers of democracy. So that's where America gets their ideas from. So it's sort of, it is really uh, whatever they want it to, to mean. And I, I just think looking at that picture and that spectrum is so fascinating and, and it, uh, because it can mean so many things to so many people. It, it it is it is so fascinating because i don't know or i can't think of another time period particularly quite a short period of time um that so many people attach themselves to or so many people look back to or so many companies brands and kind of want to associate with in some way or use it to promote their products you know you don't get it for uh i don't know the i guess you do get it for even for the romans i don't feel like it doesn't it's not used as much or the egyptians or the greek or the spartans it, none of these kind of warrior groups hold the same power i guess in today in, in today's culture there is one group but it's specifically uh, tied to the U.S. and this is sort of what I talked about in my in my research, and that's the frontiersmen, and okay. sort of this pioneer, uh, you know, um, man that lives sort of between uh, civilization and the wilderness, uh, mm. reliant sort of thing, and and in many ways, um, I think the Vikings sort of took on that personality over time. 
And, and so, uh, but, but in the States, especially there's a lot of, you know, the pioneers in the, in the early yeah. are really, really romanticized and probably not in the, in the same way, but I think that there has been some like meshing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you said we start back in 1830, I believe. Right. Um, I mean, this is specifically target, you know, I, I had to talk, had to narrow it down. So I'm talking specifically about the U S um, and um, in 1837, there was a, a publication by a, a Danish uh, philologist, Carl Christian Raffen, um, and it was titled Antiquitates Americanae, and it was published in Latin, Danish, and some parts in English. And this was, uh, for the first time, a scholarly work on the Vinland sagas, and people in the U.S. were, you know, outside of a handful of specialists, were privy to the fact that there were these medieval texts written about the Norse coming to North America. And so this, of course, caused quite a stir and created a lot of interesting texts, a lot of really bad texts, some interesting discourse. By the end of the century, end of the 19th century, there's this sort of Leif Erikson versus Christopher Columbus, who really discovered America thing going back and forth. And and yeah, so you can kind of, you know, in in the UK, in, in England especially, there had already been a resurgence of interest in uh, Old Norse and the Vikings and, and the literature. Uh, and this sort of bleeds into the US, but especially kickstarts with this text and when this becomes sort of recited in, in other English texts throughout the early part of, or the middle part of the century. Mm-hmm. I feel like us and the USA have been tied together when it comes to popular culture for a, a long time. And originally it probably went from the UK to the USA, but I think in recent years, it's very much gone the other way. I often see trends that happened, even sometimes negative things when I know I've seen when sometimes riots happen, in in the USA concerning pr- predominantly issues that are isolated to America a lot of the time with things like police brutality. Now I'm not saying that doesn't happen in the UK, but it's certainly not an issue like in in the USA. I remember there was one of the riots that happened, and I remember saying to one of my friends, "I was like, oh, that's gonna people are gonna see that online, and that's gonna happen here." And within like three or four days, there were a bunch of riots over here. So. I think for for whatever reason the two countries have been tied culturally for for a long time so it doesn't surprise me that you the once it starts to get resurgence over here it kind of goes back right and you know there were especially at the time if you if you think about 1830s the US were still kind of searching around for their big name authors you know um James Fenimore Cooper's coming you know he he's sort of the big one We've got uh, Longfellow as the big poet, but but for the most part, a lot of the literature is coming from from the UK over t- uh, to the US. Um, and I think Cooper was maybe the only uh, respected author in the UK from the U. Everybody, everybody in the UK hated the the US uh, 
writers at that time. But yeah, eventually, uh, for better or worse, I think uh, my country became some, some interest. It made some interesting trends uh, throughout the. Yeah, we we were just sulking that you kicked us out. That's all. <laughs> well, you know, uh, that's a little bit before my time uh, for research. So. <laughs> um. Okay. So we start to see. Oh, you said the the the, the Vinland sagas. What happens then? I guess when it comes to root people really getting this interest in, because I, I always thought the Leif Erikson uh kind of debate was a more modern one i didn't realize it went back so far i I just assumed that christopher columbus won out and everyone always assumed it was him until more recent times well you know it it was sort of a small group of people but because a lot of the scandinavian settlers in the u.s around that time uh, the middle of the century were predominantly Lutheran and Protestant. Leif Erikson sort of became this uh, Protestant, you know, rallying cry of saying like, "Oh, look, we really discovered America." It wasn't a Catholic, you know. This sort of and sort of it sort of devolved into this anti-Catholic um, discourse. Um, Rasmus B. Anderson published a book near the end of the century called America Not Discovered by Columbus. Um, there's some interesting things in there. And and uh, Shipley Brown, Marie Shipley Brown, she also wrote a book that, you know, it was very much um, a Vatican cover-up. So the theory is, and, and this can be debated in, in many uh, different spheres, but the theory is that Christopher Columbus actually sailed to Iceland um, in the 1470s. And whatever he did there, we here, we don't really know. If he came here, we don't really know. Some people say yes, some people say no. But what these American people from the 19th century, what they jump to is, oh, he must have come into contact with the Vinland sagas and therefore learned about America from the Icelanders. So either way you look at it, uh, the Icelandic people, the Norse, are the real discoverers of America because either the, either it was Leif Erikson who made it there or um, it was Columbus learning it from from, uh, from the Icelanders. And, and so this is, you know, this is some small pockets, but I, th I think one of the most really interesting things actually is how this discovery narrative is actually situated in American history at that time. Um, basically what Carl Christian Raffin does with the help of some others is he points to specific um, artifacts found in new England to say, um, this is where Vinland was in the new England area near Boston. Um, if he had sort of maybe not done that, it would have been a great piece of scholarship, but he he was really hell-bent on saying, I know exactly where Vinland is. And one of the things he pointed to uh, was the Dighton Rock, which was this big stone found um, in Massachusetts, which had some strange carvings on it. And he said this was definitely Norse. He thought he could figure out uh, some rune uh, symbols that said Thorfinn, 
Thorfinn Karlsvatni, who was, you know, one of the people that came to Vinland, according to the sagas. Um, the problem is that that rock had been attributed to the Phoenicians, the Chinese, uh, the Welsh, every imaginable civilization up to that point, different people had theorized about what that was. And so sort of what, what this Danish philo philologist is doing is sort of taking the Vinland story and placing it in this American context that had already existed, which is we think someone was here before the indigenous people, but we don't know who it is. And so any thing that we find, we're going to attribute it to that ancient civilization. Um, and this is sort of what he's doing with, with these artifacts. And there were two other, there was a skeleton uh, that had been found uh, with some, some armor on it and uh, the Newport tower, uh, which they had said was definitely um, a Norse structure, but was actually built in the 1600s. Is that the one that got associated with the Templars as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah there's like some novels about the Templars and the. Yeah, I think I think that featured on the American Runestone TV show. Okay. I, I think they went there uh, as they were running out of things to talk about the Kensington Runestone. <laughs> Uh, um, no, go on. Uh, I, I I love the I love the Kensington Runestone story. Um, I don't know if you've if you've read Myths of the Runestone. Uh, I, I haven't read that. No. Okay. Uh, I think it's David Kruger, and just goes into this story, and you know the poor guy that just devoted his whole life to proving it's it was true, and never really, never really getting that satisfaction. Yeah. Um, it's it's a heartbreaking story, but it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, okay, so we, I guess we have a an increased interest in Vikings or in, in the Icelandic sagas. Um, how does it? How do we get from there, from the whole Leif Erikson Christopher Columbus argument, to where we are today? Of a lot of it been co-opted by these white supremacist groups. I mean, it's it's a bit complicated because if you if you look at the at the fiction or the uh, poetry produced, you know, at the end of the nineteenth century, beginning of the twentieth century, the Vikings looking look very very different than they do today, um, and this is in part because it because the Vikings, uh, and that you can you could argue this about any type of historical fiction or historical film or whatever, it's going to reflect the the contemporary values or you know culture or whatever is making it so in the victorian era the vikings appear very um chivalric and they're often christian and uh you know they have these values like self-control which was very important during the victorian age um but as as the culture and society sort of changes, so do the Vikings and they become increasingly violent. And, and you can kind of point to the 1958 film, the Vikings, as well as the, the novel that uh, inspired it, which was the Viking by Edison Marshall. This is sort of, a, you can sort of see here where the Vikings are there. You've passed the point of no return. They're no longer chivalric. In fact, they're incredibly violent, um, even against women. And the sort of rape and pillage 
um, uh, you know, generic look of the Viking starts to starts to take shape. Um, and you could you can point to a lot of things. And, and basically what I what I boiled it down to um, is I, I looked at some of these uh, cultural ideas that were changing at that time. One one of them being um, changing from Victorian manliness to sort of 20th century masculinity. And, and this being the most important thing uh, for a man, whereas in the Victorian era, being a man meant taking care of his family and having self-control and taking care of his body and this sort of thing. But with changes to the economy, um, business taking off, uh, these types of things, and it became a little more cutthroat, a little more competitive. And so now competition, which was before a vice, is now seen as a manly virtue. And over time, this takes shape uh, in popular culture in places like the Vikings, um, who are known to be ruthless killers in the past. And so it's sort of embellished and, uh, and all along this time, you can see sort of, you know, um, the Vikings are Nordic, so they're white. There's a lot of, (laughs) it's, it's hard to really put your finger on it, but when you talk about, you know, what I talked about with, um, the anti-Catholic stuff, it's, it's us, not them, or the discovery narrative where it's saying, oh, this runestone is actually, this means this land is for us, not them. And so there's always this sort of, um, divide, this sort of, um, us versus somebody else. And this takes, uh, form in the, uh, in the racial discourse over time. Um, and you can see it in how, uh, the Vikings um, confront the Native Americans in these Vinland stories, right? Uh, if anybody has had the displeasure of seeing, uh, there's a night a movie from the 1970s called The Norsemen, starring Lee Majors, that is basically a Wild West movie, uh, but with Vikings. It's don't ever watch it; it's so bad. But you can oh, sort really? of see how this, you know this is not culturally important. So it probably didn't impact anything, but you can see how this sort of worked um, where the, the, the Vikings are sort of cowboys and there's this sort of superiority over a different, a different culture. And you, this takes shape in different ways where the, you know, the men are dominant over women over time. And so there's always a a sort of an other that's being dominated by this group of people. Mm Mm-hmm. So is there is there like a single point where we see it going from it just big it starts to just be adopted by you know white supremacists because I, I guess what what was the political landscape racially? Did you say the nineteen fifties? Yeah. Um there's not really a point. And so, you know, what I try to do is sort of trace these ideas um, through through time and how these ideas uh, sort of pick up. So my main one of my main arguments is that the adventure story is based on the frontier story. And when you have a story about the American frontier, you have ideas like manifest destiny, like white superiority, like um um 
dominant manliness or masculinity, depending on what, what time period you're, you're using. And so when you, when you use like Natty Bumpo uh, from the leather stocking tales was like the um, archetype for of uh, an adventure hero. And so what a lot of people are doing is just sort of swapping him out and putting a different character in, but because they're using that template, some of these ideas of that frontier narrative continues uh, through time. And so you can see a lot of times a Viking adventure story carrying these ideas uh, of being a frontier hero, of of carrying this like white superiority. So for me, you can see these sort of things uh continue through uh, literary history and into film history. But if you want to look at, at specific points in time, there there are a couple, um, one of which, of course, you could point to World War II when uh, the Nazis were interested in, some Nazis were interested in uh, Old Norse mythology and, of course, the SS symbol, uh, the S runes, and there's a lot of dabbling in, in that sort of thing. So that's sort of inspired uh, some people. And then the other really interesting one is um, the very, very early Norse pagan movement in the U.S. Um, focused focused specifically on uh, Aryan Brotherhood, uh, members of the Aryan Brotherhood in prison. And um, uh, Arthur Rudd Mills was, was really influential in this. He was an Australian uh, white supremacist. Um, and then uh, the the woman's name um, that operated in the in America, she was building a an Aryan army and uh, yeah, recruiting specifically white uh, supremacists for to join her um, old Norse religion. And those of you, those the people that are actually in the in the heathen community now know about the controversy controversial figure of Stephen McNellan, who has dabbled in, um, you know, meta, meta genetics or whatever he calls it. I forget the actual term for, so he, you know, there is this sort of, um, um, these are the two specific point in times for me that, that this has been really like, this is what's happening. Um, but I think it's been more subtle in popular culture, uh, where you don't really see it. And so there's this, this sort of association. You see a bunch of white men on screen. Um, in the 1958 film, this is something really subtle, uh, but in the, in the in the book that it's based on, there was a character named Sandpiper um, who was a Moor. He was a black man from Spain, and he's sort of just around the Vikings. And Elsie Christensen, thanks, Bob. Yeah, that was her name. Um, Sandpiper is just sort of there, but he's sort of free to come and go as he wants. But in the film, they couldn't really figure out what to do with him. So they put an iron ring around his neck. So he's a slave. So there's this, uh, this happened in the, in the 70s film with the Norsemen. Um, Deacon Jones, the American football player, was a Viking in the crew. He doesn't have any lines in the movie. He's just there with his huge muscles rowing the boat. And in the credits... Uh, he's he's named Thrall, which is Old Norse for slave. And so there's this idea that people of color could only exist in this period 
by being a slave or by being an enemy or something. And so when you see this repeated over and over of these white, violent, dominant people, you start to get a sense of, of you know, there's no real like, it's just so supposed to be entertainment. But when it's repeated in this way over and over again, it sends a certain message of, or, you know, the image is shaped in a certain way to say, this is a white, dominant, violent male. Um, that that dominates other people, other cultures, other other ethnicities. So is that is that just another case as you, as we were talking about earlier of the Vikings changing with the times? So the landscape at the moment is you know you're coming out from a period of slavery in in the USA. So that's why you're then seeing the the black and people of color characters in there portrayed as slaves rather than being able to be anything else i don't think it's that direct um i don't think it's it's point a to point b i just i think i think when they look back at the viking age there's this idea of what it is and you know the 1978 film basically looked to the 1958 film uh for historical inspiration which of course that one was baloney as well so you just have this like but is, it, but is that not just looking back on what those people know in the history that they know directly because obviously anybody who knows about the actual time period would know that yes you know the vikings did take slaves but they were celtic anglo-saxon you know they were the pe- yeah. the places they were invading. They weren't going all the way down to northern Africa to take slaves because it made no, as sad as it sounds, economic sense to do so. Um, so, so do you think that the the people making, I guess, the people making these films were looking back and genuinely thinking the Vikings took black slaves, or is it a case of that they were looking back at their own history and going? Well, this is what we know, so this must therefore be true for other times. I think I think a little bit of both. Um, if if anyone's seen the film uh, Pathfinder, the very very beginning of the film is an indigenous woman finds a wrecked Viking ship, which it's way too big to be a Viking ship, and in the hull of this Viking ship is our bodies in chains. And of course, one of them is black, and this you know this brings to mind the the slave trade that happened in the U.S. And part of this is to present the Vikings as evil colonizers. That was their goal in that film was to colonize. Um, they they use terms like wipe out this group, you know. So there's this this is like reflecting back, um, and then there's a, there's also this idea like the 1928 film the viking um when they show leif erikson land in vinland it's very very much uh you know he kneels he has a cross made out of oars he you know he lifts his hands up and this is sort of just saying well we we don't know what the leif erikson discovery would have looked like so let's just use the christopher columbus uh what we think about that one and so there's this idea that like whatever is whatever was past was past and that just works. And so, um, so in some sense, it's like, oh yeah, there were black slaves in the past. 
let's just throw that in there Mm -hmm. as a way to show this is set sometime in the past without really like getting down to the nitty gritty of, of what's going on there. In the chat, Jennifer just made a, a what I think is a fantastic point of that maybe they they would use a a black person for the slave because the audience would just automatically associate, particularly at that time period, black person and slave. So they wouldn't. You said that they they didn't have a role in the movie. You know, they didn't have any spoken lines, so it wouldn't need explaining. The audience would just automatically go, oh, "Okay, there's a black person there." particularly with a ring around the neck slave and it's just easier dialogue than having a white person there and having to have maybe a some sort of dialogue to explain that they were captive and as awful as that sounds maybe that could just be the case of that it was easy because that's what people knew and the audience knew at that time absolutely that's absolutely uh the case um especially in the 58 film because tony curtis who uh, who plays one of the main characters, He um, he's also a slave. So the role of Sandpiper is to just be a visual aid for his, for Tony Curtis's um, plight. But that's a terrible way to use black bodies on screen. Oh, yeah. And, Absolutely. And again, it, it, it perpetuates, you know, uh, this just domination uh, theme of this, um, of the Vikings being able to kind of do what they want and take who they want. Um, mm-hmm. And es- especially like the Pathfinder one is the most uh, bewildering because if you think about it, they probably, you know, they're in Vinland. So they, they took this, took these slaves across the ocean. Um, where did, you know, where did they pick these people up and why did they take them here exactly? Um, so uh, yeah, it's um it's a really, really unfortunate thing, and this is. There's been a lot of research uh, from um, from a lot of scholars about the role of black bodies in films um, that could talk about this way better than I than I could. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's definitely like a visual, you know, aid for for what's going on uh, in the film. And in the 1928 film, uh, the main character gets sold also into slavery. And again, at the slavers market, there is a black body there again, to sort of just emphasize uh, that this is actually what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And I guess then you can see the path as to how those who then look back at the, the Vikings in a favorable light can then make that association with power over anybody who isn't white, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I doubt anybody will watch a 1928 movie uh, and and say, ah, yeah, that's, that's for me. But I, again, I think it's this repetition. Um, of yeah, it's, the- it's small increments of just exactly. a little bit by bit. It gets embedded in people's minds because sitting here today in, you know, in 2023, the, you were describing how the Vikings were portrayed, you know, the, the dominance, very hyper-masculine dominance over women, very violent. And you, and you today we're looking at that thinking, well, why would people want to associate themselves with that? Why would people hold that up to such a high regard and be like, that's the ideal. That's what we want to be like. And that For most people, particularly when it comes to 
those interested in the Vikings, we want to try and step away from that image and get back to this idea of farmers, uh, you know, innovators, and we want to go down that route. And yes, there was a violent side, but there was all these other things as well. But yeah, so this image that that some people are aspiring to, and it's sitting here today, it's odd and it's strange to think why people would, but I guess back in 1950, 1960, 1970, there are a group of men. So uh, on the back of that, why do you think there are there is a group of people who are looking at this and what are quite unlikable qualities, but going, oh, well, that's what I want to associate myself with. That's what I want to be like. That's me. I mean, uh, on one hand, you know, what you're talking about, they, they were innovators. They were, you know, crossing the Atlantic Ocean in – and that type of ship that took that took some guts that took a lot of courage and and so there are admirable qualities for sure um and you know i don't think that it's necessarily bad to depict uh the violence but it's just it's interesting to see that that's what's focused on of course that's probably what sells movies too right and and so it's you can't have it both ways you know but like one of the things that I I sort of miss is like okay if 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 you really want to you know make something a little bit more accurate or authentic or whatever word you want to use if you want to look at like uh Eos Saga you know this guy is really violent but he also he also follows it up with this really eloquent poetry right it was like mm-hmm. we're, we're why are we missing the poetry and um and so it's just interesting to see what what's left out now. I think, you know, we mentioned this when we, when we were texting earlier. Uh, I think that the one of the more recent films, The Northmen, that came out a couple of years ago, I think that they are really trying to portray the Vikings as villains, as people that you should not admire. And, and this is a really interesting tragedy um, told on screen. And yet uh, you still see like, a like frothing at the mouth, mouth, white, extremely violent, masculine man. Right. And so it's really interesting how that film tries to, tries to, you know, buck these trends uh, in it. And I think it succeeds in some ways and fails in other ways, but I, I think that's the first time that you sort of see them being like, Oh, we should not like these people. They are uh, the villains. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, Okay, but to go back to, to you know the people who, particularly in white supremacists who co-opted uh, a lot of this, what do you think the reason was? Because it seems like did it mainly kind of kick off in the the fifties, sixties that sort of time where the the two became entwined? Am I right in thinking, or would was it would it have been before that? I mean, you you do have. Um... I mean, there is some earlier stuff, but, you know, you could talk about the esoteric Nazism where um, this, you know, uh, Old Norse mythology sort of thrown into uh, this Germanic Volkish kind of movement. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty, that's older. And some people look to that, right, as as inspiration. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the heathen pagan movements movement in the u.s uh that's a that's another 
Um, but I, I think it, what, I think what it really comes down to, uh, for me is like, okay, a lot of people have Scandinavian, um, heritage, uh, or Northern Germanic, because if you look at, you know, something like Tacitus, there's this romanticized look at, uh, Northern Germanic people, they have similar religions, right? And these religions are lost um, after the introduction to Christianity, except for we still get the Old Norse. And the Scandinavians, especially when you look at something like Sweden, these are sort of the last holdouts of Europe as far as like this old uh, pre-Christian religion. And so there's this sort of underdog um we lost our identity we lost our culture and i think that uh you know having a place to belong having something to believe in and and because the eddas are so rich and so colorful and 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 there's so much that survives that you can look at um i think that appeals uh, uh to to the people as as well um but i th- i feel like that appeals to a lot of Americans, you know, I, I have a, I have a business selling Viking pro Viking themed products, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we sell tons to the USA. So there are, you know, there are a bunch of people who are interested in this and, you know, be probably because like you say, a lot of people have particularly European heritage. Uh, the USA as a country isn't that old. So it's makes sense to look back this direction and yeah. the Vikings is a very cool time. It is a very cool point in history for people to look at and find joy in learning about. So, but not everybody then takes that to, Oh, well, a white superiority. So what, uh, where does that happen? Because there are even, even today there are tons of people who are interested in Vikings and right. are very, very progressive, very diverse, very, welcoming most people in fact yeah absolutely but there is certainly a group who who aren't and so what point does this kind of uh, happen or or do we know like a reason for it or an idea of like what's going on maybe what's going on like say you said that there isn't a single point where we can go okay this is where it started to happen so i was wondering whether culture whether there's something missing in society where this starts to happen where people are angry and want to be seen as this hyper masculine figure or or what i i'm just trying to figure out why it can happen and maybe there isn't an answer i i don't think there's a really good answer again you could kind of look at Gardell's smorgasbord and being like, okay, I like this. I like this. Um, this, this, uh, old Norse symbol was associated with esoteric Nazism. So I like this as well. Um, I don't think that there's anything specific that you can, that you can point to. I think it's an accumulation, um, over time, but I do think that this sort of like, um, this European heritage is important, but also the European heritage um, that fought Christianity because Christian culture became the norm. And so there is this sort of pull, I think, uh, for 
for certain people to say like, yeah, we we are these warriors. You know, you think about uh, another hate group, the Ku Klux Klan. They, they saw themselves as medieval knights. And so it's not too far to think that, you know, um, other people were reaching to to the medieval period for these sort of like um, white archetypes, white this white heritage. So I don't really know exactly why the Vikings became this other than they're so flexible and there's so many, um, you know, they they were predominantly you know northern germanic and therefore white um they did move around a lot this is you know exciting and uh they were they were violent they were dominant in some ways and and so it's just sort of cherry picking what they want mm-hmm. out of different cultural groups uh to to have something you know say that this represents them, but I, I don't think you can point to like one specific thing yeah. or one specific idea to say, yeah, I'm going to take this. Um, I would recommend, you know, um, if you want to know more, Matthias Gardell's book, uh, Stephanie von Schnurbein wrote another book about this and um, Norse paganism uh, kind of stuff. And, and yeah, uh, and it's not just, you know, it's not just the Vikings, but this medieval period in general, as we saw um, in the aftermath of Charlottesville, like there were only a handful of of Old Norse uh, symbols and Old Norse runes, um, but there were a lot of medieval symbols and even some like ancient Rome uh, symbols. And, and so like medievalists in general were alarmed and not just Old Norse, but there has been this, um, I think there's been this flirtation for a long time, this relationship that just really hasn't been talked about until after that time to say like, Hey, hey, nobody, nobody like put a finger up to say, wait a second. Um, maybe we shouldn't be doing this like anti-Catholic stuff with Leif Erikson, you know, or this uh, taking indigenous uh, uh, culture or, or land and saying, Oh yeah, this is an artifact that's really attributed to this group. And so again, it's these accumulations over time that I think give it this, this pull. Mm-hmm. I've got, I've got two ways I want to take this now. Um, okay, first, I mean, I assume a lot the Nazis have and and Hitler have a lot to answer for because obviously he had a a fascination with like the Aryan race and that certainly points towards Scandinavia. Uh, you know, he adopted a lot like the the runic symbols, a lot of Nordic based symbology. So I guess then when you have anybody who holds similar ideas today, again, I don't walk in these circles, but I would assume um, that one for a better phrase that like the Nazis are the Holy Grail to white supremacists. I I guess uh, I would, I would assume that they would look back at those as like the, the height, the heights um so therefore when they're adopting a lot of these symbols they're gonna do the same i mean the one thing about about the vikings and old norse you know mythology is that everybody wants everybody wanted credit for it and and so you see um you know early 
like late 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 nineteenth century Germans trying to say like, oh well, we really the Edda really came from us, you know, because we you know we had this like similar culture and like we have the same um, mythology and they and they looked at Tacitus who who really romanticized the uh, the Scandinavians and and it's something so appealing about this that everybody wants a slice. A really great example. Um, was in the lead up to the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. Chicago had a huge Swedish population at that time. And um, there's a guy, uh, I'm going to forget his name, I'm so sorry, but he he wrote his own version of the Vinland sagas and was very careful to use like broad terms like Northmen. And it was to include the Swedes in the discovery of of America because they wanted in, they wanted a part of it. They wanted to be present. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so like the Norse, the Norwegians, the Icelanders, you know, uh, the Swedes all, all wanted to be included in this, in this event. And I think, yeah, I, I I think um, the Germans and, 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 you know, you could, you can actually look at many different uh, cultures. One of the, I taught a class recently where they had to choose a country to talk about like the Viking reception and the, and the heritage that, that developed. And even some countries um, in, in South and Central America have some association. There's, there's this theory that uh, I'm going to mispronounce this name because I always get it wrong. Uh, the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl uh, was actually a Viking um, that had showed up. So he was thought to be a god. He had a red beard in all these depictions in, in Central America. And and so there, there's like all these yeah uh, different cultures trying to grab a piece of this really unique and as you said, brief moment in, in history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't think the Nazis were that all that different, but uh, interesting Hitler really didn't, uh, from what I understand, I think Heather O'Donoghue talks about this, but I, th- I think he wasn't really that interested in old Norse mythology. Uh, he didn't really, have, he needed the churches. So he didn't want to dabble in, in that. Realm. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just, I guess, I guess I, I'm bad for trying to just, trying to really trying to figure out like why things and and trying to understand and I, I guess with a lot of this stuff there is very little understanding because it comes from a place of idiocracy and ignorance um and a bunch of other mean words that i can't well i can say if i want to but um so i guess trying to put a logical answer and place to it to something that is sometimes illogical because I guess like a lot of these symbols, if you look at them historically, they don't have these meanings. For a lot of them, we don't know what they mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so then to see them used in places by people that certainly don't know what they originally mean, but them taking on a new meaning in new and like in current culture is frustrating. And I guess just trying to figure out like why choose these symbols that clearly don't have this original meaning oh, uh, what point have you kind of gone oh this is a symbol for me does does that make sense yeah i mean you know you could also you can make the same argument for for the swastika because it was originally in 
Well, an Indian symbol, right? Uh, had nothing to do with German culture. Um, it was adopted from, I think, um, India, and it it meant something about peace. Uh, but that doesn't mean it anymore, and that's unfortunate. And I'm sure the people that really held that um, to be a symbol. In fact, uh, there was a, a fish company here in Iceland that 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 was the symbol for their for their company. Uh, for the logo. And it was on a building until very, very recently mm. uh, when they were like, all right, maybe we should, maybe we should get this off of here. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's really scary to think about something like as innocuous, innocuous as uh, Thor's hammer, the Mjotnir being, you know, going down that road, you know, and as we talked about earlier, there are these moments of hesitation. There are these uh, sticky situations with that symbol. And so I don't think it's beyond, uh, you know, recovering, but it, it, but it, at some point, I I think like out of your hands, you know, again, this is, this is sort of a different topic, but um, it's sort of like how every few years, somebody wants to come up with a more academic word for Vikings because it's got all these associations to it. And so, you know, you'll see a book about the late Iron Age, Northern Germanic warriors, you know, it's like, it's just not going to work. And so, and I know, I know I've heard from other, you know, scholars who really like, I don't want the word Viking on my, on my book, but yeah, we spoke about that. Um, Yeah. With Anders, right. Yeah. He he said about, you know, just, just the I, the the way that the word means, the what people look and think of it, but also people know the word and people know what they're gonna get. Yeah, it's, and uh, yeah, it's a tough. You know, one. It's, it's 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 a bit frustrating, and at the same time, if if that's what it is, that's you know, you kind of have to like, okay, where do we go from here? And I, and I think that's a really interesting, you know, I, I've been to several conferences where this is the question, like, okay, this association between old Norse culture, Vikings, whatever, and these extremist groups that exist, what do we do about it? And I think that's a really interesting thing. And um, it's, and it's, it's, there's not a really perfect answer um, other than having conversations like this, being able to uh, talk more openly and and something that people didn't do for ages uh, to say like, oh yeah, these associations exist. Um, and to maybe, you know, talk more frequently, people giving talks at, at, um, at conferences, publishing things. Uh, but But then there's this sort of divide about like, okay, let's say you publish an article, is it $150 uh, behind a paywall? Mm-hmm. Then the people who are, you know, uh, associating with these things, they're not going to, you know, are they going to read that? And, you know, what's the best way to get out there? And there's, you know, there's some people like Jackson Crawford, who I think is doing a really interesting uh, thing, you know, reaching a new and different um uh, group by by these YouTube videos, and he's sort of a, a man of the people, uh, and not your typical typical scholar. And I think things like that are really helpful to to sort of you know I don't want to say set the record straight, but to at least engage in conversation to get people thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more because 
there is a point where these symbols probably can't come back like the swastika you know they're every every so often you get a group of i'm sure um well-intended people who try to take back the swastika and give it back his original meaning but a symbol like that is too far gone it means it's caused too much hurt to too many people um and whilst hopefully none of you know the the milner or uh the Valkyrie never get associated with anything as severe as hopefully nothing like that ever happens again as the holocaust but the more we see them in films like becky in uh, at the capital riots at this at the storm of the capital sorry at the um Charlottesville riots as we see the more more and more like that and everyday people because it's not the people who are interested in this that we need to worry about because most people who are interested in this field have a deeper understanding that these what these symbols actually mean it's the general public that is the not the issue but it's the general public who are seeing these symbols and don't know any better so just because they don't have the time to do the research either or the want or the interest so they just see these symbols associated with these people and it just sticks in their mind so the next time they see this symbol it's just a symbol for white supremacy because they don't need to do any further research they just see it on those people and that was the the whole reason why we created this podcast Hmm. was that i i started using people of color as models and my business and got a bunch of hate and and kind of pushback from the certain group of people who are into this stuff and are cunts let's call them cunts they are cunts um so we we got a bunch of kind of hate so me and Mateus had a conversation we started the podcast in an idea that we could inform people who get themselves who who do like this this whole area who wear a Milner, and if somebody does come and say that's a, a a symbol of hate, or they can then articulate articulate themselves to say no, this is what it is. Uh, so, and it kind of just passes on that education rather than being put in a position where you go, oh no, it isn't, but then can't back yourself up. And I think that's how we fight fight back the the right word. I don't know. But that's how we kind of work back and take these sim not take these symbols back, but kind of stop them getting degraded even further is to educate the people who who wear them so they can then educate those who are outside. Because yeah, because the, the people on the fringe who don't have an interest in this haven't got the interest or the want or the time to research symbols. Who does? And I'm probably guilty of it, you know. If 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 I saw a white supremacist wearing a symbol from, I don't know, just a different, just a different group of people that I'm not interested in, from, let's just say Japanese culture for what just just for the purpose of the argument. If I just saw them wearing a symbol from like a Japanese culture. Uh, but I don't know the symbol. I don't know anything about it. I've never really seen it before. But I only, I've only seen it on the white supremacist. I just automatically go, "Oh, that's probably just some racist symbol," and I go along with my day. And then the next time I see it, it's just like, "Oh, that's that fucking racist symbol again," because you don't know any better. And that's what's frustrating, I think. And that's how that's my way that I think we can 
try and counteract this. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, I, I hope to at some point get, um, something turned into a book, uh, from, from, from my research, because I, I do think that that, you know, that time frame that, you know, even though it's, it's, it's big and it's, and it stretches, but it's when you, when you can look and say like, Oh, th- these are some of the reasons why things progressed in a certain way, uh, can really help us to say like, okay, um, maybe we can take a step back and, and, and look at this, you know, in a different way or, um, challenge, you know, how we see things. Um, and hopefully the next wave, you know, of novelists and film directors and, and different creatives, uh, can use that to create a, a better depiction. And, and again, to use that, to use Northman, like I, I have, I do have some issues with with the story itself, but I think that they I, you can tell by watching it they are trying really hard to sidestep some of these issues that we're talking about, um, and um, and in, in in subtle ways just to avoid these these pitfalls and and that's encouraging and even if it's a even if it's a I think it's a great movie but even if it's a bit flawed. Um, maybe the next version that we, that we see will be even better, you know, and it, and it's sort of just learning from the past and um, trying to depict things in a, in a better way, because one of the, one of the downsides is when, when you're in, when you're in the trenches like this, looking at this kind of stuff, it's hard to in, actually enjoy uh, these things. And so when, you know, when the Northman comes out, it's the first, you know, major, uh, production uh, about Vikings in quite in you know maybe five six years, and everybody's looking for this now. Uh, they're like, oh, are they gonna are they gonna buy into this? Is is there gonna be something there for these types of people? And uh, and that's a lot of pressure. Um, and I you know I think they overall overall did a pretty good job. But that's something that's that's really like it's become part of the discourse. Now you have to take this into account as to what you are presenting. Um, and that's an encouraging thought going forward that people are going to keep that in mind. Uh, I want, they're going to want to be careful not to pander or not to uh, present something in a way that's going to be taken out of context. Mm-hmm. Which is often what those people want to do is take things out of context. Um because a lot of the time I think their whole ideology is built on a house of cards because they're probably brought up in some echo chamber where they've been fed certain things by their parents or maybe they've just never interacted with other races, other ethnicities. So they've just become isolated and their parents have taught them like the other mentality and it's just how they've been brought up. So hopefully through conversations like this, they even if somebody listens to an episode like this or somebody that's listened to this then has a conversation with somebody, you can kind of start to, usually if you, you know, if you can take away one card, the whole thing falls. If you can say, oh, well, this idea of, you know, these symbols coming, you know, being some symbol of white supremacy, actually, this is where they come from. Uh, they come from, this kind of step by step approach of progression from the you know that 
the 1800s through to today. There's no real basis on any any idea of like why people being superior. Uh, so, and then hopefully that kind of puts a chink in the armor, and then they maybe start looking at other things that they believe, and over a period of time that wall comes down and they can see things a little more clearly because that's usually is what it takes yeah absolutely and um you know and i it's also important to to note that um you know the idea of of white supremacy does not or superiority also does not mean these extreme extremist groups it could just be like i talked about like this this reoccurring theme of dominance uh that that these people were were stronger and taller and and uh better in battle and so on and so forth that it creates this sort of mirage of 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 superiority um whether you know and and that might not lead directly to an extremist groups but it's going to affect when it's repeated like this it's going to in my mind affect how someone views a certain um character or a certain a group of people um and so like yeah i i don't think everybody that's of course um not everybody that's that's taking these ideas are are joining extremist groups but i think that the the important thing about these conversations is to sort of break that subtlety you know we're we're not going to stop extremists from being extreme um, you know, uh, in my early days of my PhD, my supervisor had to keep telling me, Hey man, you're not going to end white supremacy. So yeah. like, no, stop preaching. Um, but to like, those people are going to decide what, no matter what I say, but the, the people that have these vague ideas in their head about what the past may have been like, what this group of people may have been like, I think those are the people that you have to try to say, like, uh, try to reach and try to uh, to help um, gather information and to have these conversations with because it's not always just like oh uh, this extreme racist idea it's just this sort of like yeah okay I think you know um, you know you talk about the Kensington runestone the Kensington runestone sort of helped these uh, white Scandinavian settlers sort of feel more like they were a part of that land that they had taken from, from indigenous people. Right. And so it worked in a certain way um, against somebody else. And that's, that's the thing that, that I want to try to highlight and say, this is what we want to, to break away from Um, because it's, because like you said, the Vikings were not only that they were innovators, sailors, farmers, and so on. Yeah. I think, I think as well, there there's often so many other factors going into why people in any, it, no matter what people believe, there's usually a lot of different factors going into why people believe what they believe. And this is probably just one part of that. Um, because I think it was Demery and, uh, who just made a comment uh, and to paraphrase it, it was that, you know, people are going to, they're going to watch what they watch and take from it, what they want to take from it. And we've all met people where maybe um, even our, our friends will watch the same piece of media and then reflect on it. And we've both got completely different things from it. Oh, you know, it just happens how, you know, life has 
led us our certain directions and we just look at things with our own lenses and our own viewpoint. So we just take things how we want to take it sometimes. And that's unfortunately probably what we can't stop people doing is no matter what piece of media we put out there, they're going to look for the bits that support their ideology. Yeah. But, but what we can do is try to make it so that these subtleties start to start to disappear a little bit. And these nuances are a little more clear, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, and I think, I think there's ways to just tweak that when you, when you make something creative, mm-hmm. uh, Okay, yeah. Okay, before we before we wrap up, we haven't really touched on masculinity too much. Now, I'm I would class myself as probably a very masculine man. Uh, you know, I grew up grew up playing rugby. Um I go I've been to the gym all my life. I've got an interest in martial arts, I've trained martial arts. I got a beard, I've got an interest in in the Viking age, in Vikings. Um I would say I on paper and certainly to look at covered in tattoos, uh I would say on paper and and just like that initial to at a glance, people would consider me like a masculine male. Now obviously not me. I'm the- <laughs> Would you um, refer to you as a as a wimp? <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I would, like I said, I would consider myself to be a masculine male. Now I clearly don't haven't gone down the route of this idea of white supremacy. Um, where do you think that link is between? Because there there also is a clear link. Because I would say a lot of the people who do support supports ideology particularly the ones that i've seen at that the other rights all you see on tv shows all you see like in prison in the aryan brotherhood they are that very archetypal masculine male they all want to be tough they all want to show how you know how hard they are and it is that they do kind of go together absolutely um i mean when you think about um, the Viking Age, you you do have some sources that, for instance, if you if you look at the Vinland sagas, the 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 author says that the the indigenous people they came in contact with were small, and you have there's this idea that the Norse were were tall taller. Uh, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but you can be sure that rowing a boat across the ocean is going to build some muscle. And so, yeah, they're probably fit, probably uh, in good in good health. And so, there's this. I mean, there is this romanticizing, but they're also probably you know just like the violence. There probably is some truth to it, but I I think what it comes down to is is this idea of domination again. Um, what's what's the greatest form of of domination over woman? And it's rape. And what do Vikings stereotypically do? They rape. And so there is this sense of like the Vikings being the most masculine people because they are killing and they're raping and they're, they are showing this, this dominance um, over people. But again, this reflects just the the contemporary culture in which, uh, in which we're in currently, because in the past, you know, like I said, the, the Vikings were, were chivalric and there's, you know, they show, they, 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 
in in Otilly Lilienkrantz's uh, novel, the the uh, Thrall of Leif the Lucky from 1902, the Vikings are are incredibly capable of self-control. They, they protect women. They um, there's not even a hint of rape in those, in that book particularly. Um, and, and this changes over time because the, the, the definition of, of what makes a man, a man over time changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is absolutely nothing wrong with any of those things that you described yourself um, as, or, or that you look like, or do the problem is when you start setting standards as to like, this is what makes a man, a man, it's mm-hmm. this, you know, um, I, I guess, I guess what I was, what I was trying to get is that the, the two do tend to go hand in hand. Obviously there is, I don't, there's nothing wrong with being a masculine man. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, there's nothing wrong with anything. Be who the fuck you want to be. Um, but, there's nothing wrong with I don't think there's anything wrong with being masculine. Um, but there is certainly or it seems to be a link between like hyper masculinity and white supremacy. They do they just in my eyes anyway, they just seem to go together. This idea if you if you take away like the whole racist side of it, you still will be left with a group of men who just wanna be tough, wanna be the best at everything, wanna have dominance it they do just kind of go together yeah i mean you read any uh book from third wave feminists from the 19 the early 1990s uh this goes back to uh um black feminist scholars to the 1970s um is that gender and race are they they often go hand in hand And, and some people throw class in there that to study one you can't study the other. And so it makes total sense that, you know, this, this uh, domination over others would be uh, women and, um, and people of, of, of color. And a lot of this can be traced back to um, the early part of the 20th century. um, And, uh, and some of the race science stuff that came out that equated, um, you know, people, um, people of color, especially black men with women. And this had to do with like skull shapes and, and sizes and stuff. And so there's always been this sort of, uh, mixing of, of, of gender and race. And, um, I would, I would recommend, uh, uh, manliness and civilization, uh, I'm gonna. Her name's gonna for, uh, slip my mind for the moment. Um, but uh, it was a book that came out in like '93 uh, that talks about this how these how these things uh, continue to be uh, intertwined for so long. And so, um, yeah, it's it's almost impossible to to point out one without without talking to the other. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think there's is there any way to decide like a reason for that, or is it just the type of because the other thing, I don't know. It does always seem to be men. It can't just be men that are racist. That's a fucking ridiculous thing to to think. But it does often seem to be men. Obviously, it's not just men, but it does seem to be men a lot. Maybe on the surface, or well, outwardly spoken. Um, there's a great book that came out a few years ago by Sayward Dobby. 
Sayward, Sayward Darby, excuse me, called Sisters in Hate. And uh, she interviews uh, three or four women in hate groups. And there is this sort of gymnastics that they have to do that, that Sayward sort of highlights that um, these hate groups. And you, you also see this in, um, in some of the like uh, racist pagan groups too, where there's men and then there's women and yeah, the women in leadership have to really like do this sort of mental gymnastics as to like their place um, in, in all of this because they are subordinate. Um, and again, like to say where this comes from, you have to trawl back through centuries of, of, uh, you know, scientific discourse and all, all different kind of stuff. But um, I think a lot of where it comes from is from that late 19th, early 20th century race science that equates, um, you know, at, at least in this sense, black men with, uh, with women. Um, again, like there's been a lot of research on this uh, from the early 1990s um, about how these things are, are intertwined and I should have glanced at my dissertation to give a few names at this point, but, um, and, and it, and it also seems that a lot of, you know, an easy cop out is to say that everybody from that time period was race, especially in the U S you know, that there was some sort of uh, racist thing going on, but it also seemed that certain people, um, that were interested in masculinity were also, uh, outspoken against race as well. Uh, Thomas Carlyle, uh, who gave these, you know, the, um, talked about Oath in, in, in one of his, uh, 1930s, um, talks, or maybe it was a bit later. And, uh, you know, he, he was pretty outspoken, uh, but he was also like, Odin was like great man and highlighted the manliness of him. Mm -hmm. And then you have someone like, uh, Charles Kingsley, who was also incredibly uh, uh, racist, um, who's also talking about manliness and uh, his Christian mus muscular Christianity that uh, that he was sort of the the face of. And so, yeah, these these things have, have gone hand in hand for for centuries. And I, I'm certainly not an expert to, yeah. uh, to no. sort of explain any how, how we got. No, I mean, you can see if you do have a group of people who who are fascinated with masculinity and, and dominance and power why they would look at the vikings because it is so, so synonymous with it today it's the same reason why okay why i guess why you see it in like bodybuilding circles in where in general weightlifting circles in military circles they all look towards vikings obviously not for the same reasons as hair groups but it is that kind of masculine very hyper-masculine symbol of strength and power. Um, so you can see why all these different groups look look back at it and then also take different aspects for it to fit the different groups and, and what they want to do and perceive, I guess. And yeah, and, and like I said at the beginning, like that's sort of the um, nature of the Vikings because when, when you really think about it, like uh, – the handful of sources that we have that are contemporary to the Viking age are, you know, monks that are terrified of, for their lives or like think that the end of the world is happening because they're being raided by these 
people over and over again. So you only have a certain side of it. And then all the old Norse texts don't come till much, much, much later. Um, after, long after the Viking age is gone. So you, you, it's, you know, you already have, and, and even then, you know, like you, you think about the Edda, Snorri's Edda even, that it was probably written, you know, in the 13th century, but it doesn't exist until, you know, 14th century. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, and then what survives and then there are there different versions and redactions of these things. And, and so it's it's so easy to just pick and choose uh, what you want to take from these things because because it's so messy yeah. um, and and so you know and and that's part of the part of the allure of it. It's so vague and mysterious uh, where for people like you and me that bring that draws us in to say like oh I want to know more this is really interesting and whereas others say like ah I'm going to make make uh of this what i want yeah and, and what appeals to me mm-hmm. okay perfect we've, we've been talking an hour and a half jesus so let's yeah let's wrap this up um i'm gonna call you zach because you i know you said before there's not a, a young man called zachary um <laughs> you're you're not that old yet so zach thank you very much for for joining me is there anything you want to plug shout out um where people can read your work or or papers um i think i have an academia.edu thing i I have a couple articles coming out soon um uh one on the uh, suffrage movement from from the u.s and and their use of old norse mythology and another one on the northmen that should come out next year um and i just want to give a shout out to uh to my Rani's funded project, Kvinnispor. We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but with the uh, travel narratives of, of women visiting Iceland, it's been a lot of fun uh, to do. And there, there will be some, um, a website coming up soon. If anybody's interested in travel writing and, and Iceland, and, you know, we're focusing on women who traveled to where the sagas took place and what they talked about and landscape and, and that sort of thing. Um, that should be coming up. And uh, yeah, I don't, you can follow me, I guess, on uh, whatever platform there is. It's called Zachy Mountain uh, is my handle. So if you're interested, yeah, like I don't post a lot about what I, stu- what I research. It's a lot of like basketball, uh, yeah takeaways that's, that's cool huh? <laughs> um no we can we can do a whole other episode on that so don't worry <laughs> okay, we, will, we will get chance to talk about all that don't worry um okay if you want to follow me directly it's daniel underscore fire and one on instagram i post a bunch of little videos teaching people about different things that i go and visit uh i just did one on the doomsday book so that was quite cool um obviously the business at horns of odin and if you can support the podcast literally you, you know we have a facebook group you can join where you get updates it's just not Forge podcast on facebook instagram and obviously the patreon if you can it's three pound a month uh, and it really does help us keep going so yeah let's jump over and do a quick q and a 